a run on the bank is effectively when consumers lose lose confidence and think that the bank is is possibly going to go down. Mm-hmm. Consumers rushed into Silicon Valley, and from my understanding, they pulled out forty billion dollars in the matter of a couple of days, which then forced Silicon Valley Bank to sell these securities and recognize that loss. It was a one point eight billion dollar loss. One point eight billion dollar loss. Almost immediately thereafter, they announced that they were going to do over a $2 billion capital raise to raise capital. Right. This is the technical term for it, a bad look. <laughs> right? Right. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back to the show, everybody. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what the hell happened to Silicon Valley Bank. After that, we'll get into what the FDIC is trying to do to make all SVB depositors whole again. We'll talk about how the jobs report for February is causing a wrinkle in all of this. And Goldman Sachs no longer expects a rate hike in March. A little slow play on the outro there. You like that? I was trying something new. It was good. I felt it. You felt it? I felt what you were doing there. Big episode tonight. Big episode tonight. Major updates to the studio. Major updates to the studio. Three cameras looking us right in the face. It was very awkward. I got to see what my legs crossed now. Yeah. (laughs) Is that why you're doing that? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> this is a beta test. Sadly, you will not be seeing this episode uh, air, at least not recently. But we're going to test this. What we're doing is we're recording it in log format, which is basically all raw. And we're going to have uh, a custom format that Andy, who was previously on the show, mm-hmm. uh, did for us to color grade everything, drag and drop. So hopefully we bring you a very cinematic project. And at the same time, Maroon, outside the room, is now working the audio and the video switcher panel. You're working overtime right now. Maroon, you were live out there, brother. You good? Hello, this is Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know what the best part about this is? Uh, Over the last two, three episodes, we couldn't see each other, right? Now I can actually see you guys at least. Oh, that's Yeah, cool. that's, that's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we somehow found a way to yeah, make this we worse. get the short end of the stick here. So yeah, real quick, big thank you to Andy for coming out and helping us set up all the cameras. Yeah, the best price in the world, free. Stayed up late too. Yo, yeah. $3.99. Got in trouble with the wife? Just for us. Just for us. Man. We Yeah, we all... All right. Well, so there is one other part uh, I want to get into before we jump into today's show. And I want to be as serious as I possibly can. Uh, on the last show, we warned uh, that we were scared about what was going to happen in the economy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think I expressed more than once on that show, which was is actually going to air tomorrow uh, for the first time for everybody out there to hear where I was concerned. And I said that I was scared about Silicon Valley Bank and what that really meant. The ramifications were scary. Right. We recorded that show when they were still raising capital. And they had t- they had 
experienced a unrealized their unrealized loss they, they actually experienced yeah they, they cashed it they cashed it so and it was the day before the fed stepped in stepped in took them over and then obviously now we're seeing a run on the banks and a lot of rhetoric all of which we'll get on the show mm-hmm. but unlike normal shows i want to be very clear this is a very very serious topic and it is absolutely near and dear to what we do every single day yes being employed at the bank uh having a background in this obviously living through the great recession I can tell you that none of this is really a laughing matter. We're going to have some fun on the show, and we're definitely going to, you know, do what we can to make the best out of it. But this, this is some serious, heavy shit, right? And I want to get into the nuances of banking and some of the things that I've heard no one to date talk about, and it's shocking. But in order to get there, we have to really kind of break down what this is and how we got here. Yeah, there's a lot to dive into here. We're gonna. There's a lot of definitions we need to get to because there's a lot of terms being thrown around that don't mean what what you know people are saying well i think i think the problem is in in the banking world you've got a healthy amount of accounting vernacular right mixed in with banking vernacular mixed in with secondary you know wall street and secondary market right you know, language so there's a lot of different worlds that kind of collide and one of the things that i can tell you was completely shocking that i've seen over and over and over again it, it's stunning to me mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of people on television who are talking heads who clearly do not understand banking, and yet they're using words like contagion, which yeah. are sensationalized, scary words, right. which are really only adding to effectively what is a run on community banks and regional banks for lack of confidence. Right. And I'm not sure that that lack of confidence is warranted, but this is where the big asterisk before the show comes in. We are bankers. Yes. This is what we do for a living. Mm-hmm. It's truly hard for me not to have a bias when it comes to this stuff because... I do feel that I know it better than most consumers. Yes. I'm going to try to be as non-biased, as completely neutral as I can, but I've certainly talked to a number of people in the last couple of days that have expressed a, a pretty pretty palpable disdain for the banking industry. People people hate banks because they think that banks are rich and you know for the greedy and wealthy. Right. And that really isn't the case right now, but there's certainly an argument to be made that Silicon Valley's team had some interesting decisions. Right, and there's a lot of reckless rhetoric going around by talking heads mm-hmm. that don't understand the ramifications of what they say. And it's not even talking heads, journalists too. So let's get into the first article from the Wall Street Journal, what's going on with Silicon Valley Bank. Mm-hmm. So I'll rather than read it from the article, what I want to do is kind of point out that a little bit of a timeline of what happened, and then we'll backfill that with some articles after this. Great. So- Silicon Valley Bank, we talked about in the previous show, had what was known as an unrealized loss Mm -hmm. on their balance sheet. And for those of you who don't know what that means, basically in the accounting world and in the banking world, which this is an accounting rule which applies to banks, you don't have to recognize a loss until you actually sell the underlying asset. And to make that really simple, if you have a home that you own and the value goes up or down, on a weekly basis, or daily basis, a monthly basis, a yearly basis, that means nothing to you until you actually sell your property. Exactly. So in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, they bought securities. And like the value of your home, if it were to go down, they now owe more than, in this case, than they originally paid for it because the value went down. Right. They bought securities. Which isn't a huge problem. Which isn't a huge problem. So banks typically don't like to hold a whole lot of cash. Right. What they want to do is they want they, in in traditional logic in the banking industry is they said okay if I hold cash mm-hmm. that's wasted money that should be invested the same way we tell people who listen to the show if you have cash right 
put it all together until you get enough to make an investment and then go invest it as long as you have your reserves for whatever you need. Yeah, and even even in times like this, right? You should make be making interest, you know, the most amount of interest you can in in a savings account. 100%. Right. So, for banks historically, they had two choices. And there there are I'm watering down a much broader picture of choices. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. But you can go into securities, right, which are typically government-backed bonds and they're very safe. Mm-hmm. Or you can invest in loans. Which can be safe or not safe, depending on how risky your underlying loans are. Right. Those are generally your two choices. There are some other things you can go into, but most banks aren't going to hold more cash or capital than they need to. Right? So Silicon Valley Bank invested their money into a huge amount of securities because they wanted to have safe, prudent investments over time. Right. Well, those securities went down as the Fed increased rates at a historic and unprecedented cadence. Right. As rates started to spike and things started to go up in value, the value of those underlying bonds were going down. Mm. Now, something happened at Silicon Valley Bank. It could have been simply a run on the bank, or it could have been some bad loans that occurred out of nowhere. But it seems like Peter Thiel and the media, who expressed some concerns about the security of the bank, may have caused what's known as a run on the bank. Right. But something else that we know, something Mm. else that we know, for the last couple of months that we've been talking about, a majority of the layoffs, the stuff that's been caused by the Fed with the rate interest hikes, what sector did it hurt the most? Tech sector, absolutely. Tech sector. So yeah. I get the report came out that 50% of the accounts at Silicon Valley Bank were tech startups. Silicon Valley Bank was really started by, I heard somebody classify them as a group of bullies today, which is interesting, but they were certainly pioneers. Mm-hmm. They went into what I think is one of the riskiest products you can go into, in this case, tech and venture capital. Right. And that was a lot of their financing. It wasn't just that. that. It also kind of branched out. They had like a whole vineyard group that financed vineyards for wealthy tech founders that had a hobby for wine. And, and they went so far into what I would call riskier loans. Right. That it was kind of shocking. They also had a relationship with Y Combinator, which is somewhat of a combine or kind of a, a, an incubator, if you will, for mm-hmm. the tech sector. And Peter Thiel and a bunch of people came out and said, hey, get your money out of there. It's going down. And we don't really know the whole backstory, mm-hmm. but we certainly know that Peter Thiel's comments, along with the sector exposure in and of itself, right. was enough to have people go, oh, shit, I need to get my money out. Right. And it wasn't. it's not uncommon for a bank like that to, let's say, make a loan to one of these tech companies and require them to maintain deposits. It, what's known as a primary banking relationship right. with them. Right. right. So like the, these companies were also may have been forced to keep a certain level of cash there. Now, when all things are running- If they had it. If they had it, right. And if and if all things are running well and there's nothing, nothing to worry about, like we've been experiencing the last 14 years, mm-hmm. no problem. Right. But there is an underlying problem with the last 14 years that we'll get into later on in the show and how that has created an environment right now that I think is a systemic problem that will need to be addressed much farther than, than the president's language today in, in his early morning conversation. It needs to be addressed by, by, frankly, the Treasury Secretary and the Fed Secretary who have largely been silent completely, or Janet Yellen, the, the, the Treasury Secretary, mm-hmm. made some comments of little to no real meaningful value. I mean, it feels like Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, mm-hmm. Fed Chair, Jerome Powell has not said a word. Hasn't said a word. And President Biden all getting together, it feels like the Avengers are trying to assemble. Man, uh, if that's the Avengers, we are <laughs> fucked. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how else, how else to put it. But um, So 
a run on the bank is effectively when consumers lose lose confidence and think that the bank is is possibly going to go down. Mm-hmm. Consumers rushed into Silicon Valley, and from my understanding, they pulled out forty billion dollars in the matter of a couple of days, which then forced Silicon Valley Bank to sell these securities and recognize that loss. It was a one point eight billion dollar loss. One point eight billion dollar loss. Almost immediately thereafter, they announced that they were going to do over a $2 billion capital raise to raise capital. Right. This is the technical term for it, a bad look. <laughs> right? Right. You've now eviscerated your capital position because right. you've now had to sell these things off at a loss and you have no capital left. Because when people came into the bank, they wanted $40 billion in total deposit because they, they did this run, what's called a run on the bank. They went to the bank and said, I want my money back. Right. And the bank had invested that money into loans and securities. Right. The easiest thing for them to sell to get cash to give to the clients were the securities. But right. in order to do that, they had to recognize that unrealized loss. Right. That unrealized loss shows up as a big L, meaning they lost money. And now they want to do a capital raise to bridge the gap so they have enough capital for operating capital purposes. Right. And I think when we brought this up on the last show... At the, at that point in time, before the Fed stepped in, I think their stock price dropped sixty percent. Sixty percent, and that's where we were at in the last show. Right. And I knew that was bad. Now I will say, flash forward on some comments that we're going to talk about shortly. Today, First Republic Bank's down sixty percent. Yeah. They announced over the weekend that J.P. Morgan and the Fed had given them a seventy billion dollar line of liquidity for capital purposes. I would say the general consumer. Call bullshit <laughs> because they traded down. Yeah, uh, and I was them. Pac West was down like sixty six percent. These are all community regional banks. At some point in time, banks. they may have rebounded a little bit. Yeah, they, they did rebound a little bit, and they rebounded like down like thirty three percent or something like that. But right, uh, what I will say is the community banking sector is at risk of of really collapsing. And for those of you who don't know, Canada has like four or five main banks. That's all they really have. Okay. In the U.S., we have just under 5,000 banks. Right. So if I'm being objectively honest with myself and the listener, Mm -hmm. what I will say is I don't think the Fed cares about bank failures. Really? Between the mid-80s and the early 90s, there were 1,600 bank failures. Wow. And if you recall from that period of time, you had just gotten over Volcker's double-dip recession. You went into the 1990s recessionary economy, a little bit of a dip. Mm Mm-hmm. But that certainly was a byproduct of, of a lot of things that were going on. Right. If you look back at Washington Mutual and their failure, they were a thrift. Right. They didn't fail because they had bad loans. They failed because there was a run on deposits. Mm-hmm. So what we're seeing now is a run on deposits. We're seeing people go after liquidity saying, you know, I don't believe that, I don't have confidence in you. Right. The and FDIC will, will insure up to 250000 Right. That's what I feel, and I got a lot of questions about this over the weekend. There's a lot of confusion around this topic. There's a lot that. of there's a lot of confusion. So the FDIC will insure up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars per depositor at at each bank. But there are ways around this, and there are circumstances where you can get fully insured. Okay. So for the most people, you're not going to get fully insured, but you can certainly go into something called Cedars or ICS. Right. Cedars, think about it as CDs that are fully insured, and ICS. Think about that as if you go into this program, they'll take your money, let's say you have a million dollars, and they'll put it at four banks at $250,000 each, mm-hmm. right? But to you, you're working through your one bank. You don't you don't see the other banks. Right. And you have full insurance on your full million dollars. Right. 
But, now, the, the interest rate payment to you as a consumer isn't as high, uh-huh. but you also get 100% FDIC the, get coverage. The, the peace of mind. In a time like this, it's worth having, right? Um, I think it, go, it needs to be said that 95% of the deposits over at Silicon Valley Bank were above that threshold and were considered uninsured. Arun's on fire tonight. Insured Cash Sweep Service is a smart, secure, and convenient way for bank customers to access multi-million dollar FDIC protection on large deposits, earn a return, and enjoy flexibility. Wow. ICS deposits are sent to demand deposit accounts or money market deposit accounts at other ICS network banks. A shout out to Arun. Man, crushing it. Good crushing job, brother. It. You know, and then something else that came out was, you know, so apparently Roku, did you hear about this? They had other deposits that they had. Silicon they had Valley one checking account. Th- this blows me away. One checking account yeah. at Silicon Valley Bank with over four hundred fifty million dollars in it. Yeah, I mean, how reckless is that? I mean, I don't know that it's reckless. I, so I don't know their industry well enough to know what their operating capital requirements are. Yeah, but if if it were me, I mean, who knows? They could have a lot more other places too. Maybe. So yeah. you don't really know. But I would say that's a whole lot. According to Arun is on fire. According to Seeking Alpha article that Arun just pulled up, according, accordingly, Roku reported uh, reportedly was among the most exposed firms with a $487 million exposure in SVB, represented 26% of the company's $1.9 billion. Oh, I almost choked saying that. Total <laughs> total cash equivalents as of, uh, yeah, so I mean, they got, that's that's 26% of their, their deposit bases as of I mean, 10th of lot, March. Though. I mean, of 2023, a significant holding. Yeah, it's going to be, it's a lot of money, but for Roku, apparently they're crushing it, apparently. Yeah. So to get back on topic with the Silicon Valley thing, and I promise we're going to get into the articles that we normally do here, but I want to be clear. Um, this all wound up to be uh, effectively, the technical term is a clusterfuck, <laughs> right? When there's a, a lack of confidence in the system, mm-hmm. people go and they want to get their money out. Right. And this happened on Friday. Yes. And it was very, very unorthodox. The Fed, the FDIC came in and shut them down during normal trading hours. Yes. Typically speaking, this would happen after the close of the market. Right. And they start, I think there was a period of time where they had a, a halt in trading because they had moved so so far in the day. Yeah. So we knew something was going wrong and it was going wrong real fast over there. Now, obviously the capital raise and all these things tip people off and they only exasperated the existing issues that people had their, their nerves mm-hmm. but now this has created a systemic fear of what could happen and a bunch of questions have come up at every single community bank across the country right and people are moving their money what pisses me off to no end is that it's now come out that chase and banks like east west bank knew they were going to fail and had teams working almost 24 hours around the clock try to get clients they knew they had money at Silicon Valley Bank, their money out and into their bank, which right. sounds magnanimous and like I'm trying to help you. No, no, yeah. But what you're doing is you're funneling the money right, to these large money line, money center banks. Yes. Wells, Chase, B of A, City. They're capitalizing on this. Oh, big time. And not under, and maybe they do, maybe they don't, but the rippling effects that this can cause I mean, you look at it, okay, someone like SVB, it, it's been it's been well documented. The second largest bank failure in history, by the way. Right. Exactly. It's significant. It's significant. Two hundred billion dollar bank. Right. And there's there's charts that show that they people knew that this was coming for them like a year out. I I knew 
I knew on the show that we were they were right. that, that, that this was really bad. Right, this is going to be catastrophic. Yeah, this is a unique a, a unique circumstance. This isn't a a thing on all regional banks, but when one falls and faith in the system starts to crack a little, mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be hysteria, right? And well, so here's here's the problem that I think th- there's a number of problems with consumers, and I'm going to explain why this problem is bigger than people realize. But I'm also going to explain why this is not why you should not freak out. Yeah, I agree. There's there's a, there's a whole there's a whole twist to this that I think the general consumer does not understand mm-hmm. because we're not brought up with banking literacy. Right. I mean, financial literacy in and of itself is is a hard thing to find, but understanding the nuances of banking is such a difference. Right. So we're going to have to figure out a way to 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 cross that bridge with the consumer over time because. What's happening now is that this systemic fallout, this happened on a Friday, okay? And then Saturday and Sunday, everybody was losing the proverbial fucking mind. Right. Because they were hearing the news. Now it's not just the news, it's social media. Every fucking influencer on social media had an opinion about this and almost none of them right. had social had actual banking experience. Man. So the word contagion. Right got sensationalized because it's contagion it's going to spread to other banks it's, it's going to spread like a pandemic what yeah so the definition that's not how this shit works people. yeah risk contagion what that is is it's the effect another person's risky behavior has on our own willingness to undertake more risk than we originally decided so if there's a, if if people are freaking out pulling out all their money out of out of a regional bank now that could cause me to now believe like, oh shit, maybe I should do it too. So this is where we're going to start today's show. Mm-hmm. We walk into the weekend from Friday knowing that Silicon Valley Bank has been shut down. And shortly after, Signature Bank mm-hmm. is also shut down. Signature Bank, a New York-based bank. And I know that we spent the first 20 minutes of this show going into this. Mm-hmm. But I think as of the date of this show... It's really important to March thirteenth. March thirteenth to really to really kind of set the tone for what the articles we're going to walk through. And I'll be the first to admit I'm very close to this topic. I'm. It's very. It's a passion thing for me. Right. I love the business. I love the sector. But at the same time, the things that happened next to me fell short of doing what was necessary for the consumer. Okay, because I'm I'm interested in having this conversation with you. I know we talked a little bit about it before the show. We wanted to save it. For the show, because I got the message that I got from it, all of it may have been slightly different. And I think that's because you understand banking better than most do. Mm. But let, let's get there. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk about Bloomberg. All mm-hmm. right. The US discusses funds, a fund backstop to backstop the deposits if more banks fail. Yes. So this was the first thing that came out that was somewhat big over the course of this last weekend. And I'll read a quote from the article saying, the Federal Deposit Insurance Company, the FDIC, Mm -hmm. and the Federal Reserve are weighing creating a fund that would allow the regulators to backstop more deposit at banks that run into trouble following Silicon Valley's collapse. So I love this idea because they weren't bailing out banks that took an excessive amount of risk. Right. But. Like they did in 2008. 2008. So that means the the executives there lose their jobs. That means the shareholders there lose their money. Mm-hmm. You're not going to bail out the banking system. Right. 
And then we got to we got to define what bailout means for people because that term's been throwing been thrown around a lot. Yeah, and a lot of people think what's happened since then is a bailout. Right. Let me be clear: nobody has been bailed out this time. Exactly. So, in previous sets of circumstances in the Great Recession, companies were propped up effectively with a loan from the government. Yes. And the shareholders were still there. The company was still operating. Yes. In all these circumstances, they have not been bailed out. Right. The depositors. Yes are being given access to their money, in this case, with Silicon Valley Bank, on Monday, today, the right. 13th, in the morning when they opened up, depositors had access to all of their funds beyond the $250,000 FDIC minimum. Right. The point was to say, hey, look, the FDIC is going to stand behind this, and oh, by the way, you taxpayer don't have to pay for this. The banks are going to pay into this fund. Right. So it was supposed to be a, a as perfect a solution as you can come up with. Mm -hmm. And I'll, look, a lot of my regulator friends were on the phone with me. DFPI, FDIC, the Fed. I mean, everybody was on the phone with me over the weekend. Right. Not because we were in trouble, but because everybody was touching base. Yeah. Everybody wanted to be tactile and touch people and know what was going on. And they, the regulators were working their asses off. Mm -hmm. I, I, I give them a, a, an immense actually, amount of credit. They weren't actually touching people, though. I mean, not physically. Okay. This I thought we were going to be serious this show. I mean, I you're throwing me a curveball right now, man, and I don't, I don't know how no, to take that. To, we're going to be serious. I I'm feel just, like you just got, I'm I just serious. Felt like, I feel like we need to be clear that they weren't touching people. <laughs> they're being tactile. Yeah, they're being tactile. Got they're it. Being, All right. Just making sure. In the proverbial sense. Yeah. Exactly. In the figurative sense. I need you to smile a little bit. I can't, man. This shit pisses me <laughs> off. Yeah, I'm no, not going to lie. It's I scary. Be, it, it's, it's, it's immensely scary. And the part that bothers me the most is that the consumer does not understand this. No. So I mean, they're only they're only thinking about their own well being, and they're afraid. They're afraid because they don't understand it. When you don't understand, they're afraid. When you, but when I you get don't that. understand it now, before you get deeper into this fund that they want to create. So generally speaking, under normal circumstances, how would this play out? Because this is a different set of circumstances with what we're going on currently in, across the economy. When the Fed steps in to take over a bank, don't they normally start to sell off the bank's assets, and then with that money, they make the depositors whole? Yes, that, that is typically the way it works. That is but they, yeah. they, they realize that's a long, drawn-out process. It can go into receivership, and yeah. they can then sell the assets off. Right. But so it's a drawn-out process. So normally, you would get your $250,000 up to your FDIC insurance premium coverage. Yes. And then anything else after that, you get a coupon from the FDIC to come back and get your money at a later date once they've figured out how much money's left in the pool to distribute to everybody else. And sometimes, you don't get all of your money. Right. And I think that in and of itself, scares people. And I get that. People don't want to lose their money. They need to have confidence in banking. So I'm not taking away from the fears. Yes. I get that. What I'm taking away from is the fact that I think people don't understand that what the government has done. Okay, well, let, let's be a little more pointed. You can't have 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation. Yes. And jack up interest rates at an unprecedented cadence mm -hmm. like we have in the last year. Right. And expect there, there was no way this wasn't going to be a problem, especially for SVB, especially for SVB, especially for, I mean, every bank across the country, I don't care if they're Chase Wells, B of A city, mm -hmm. they all have net interest margin compression. And I'll right. explain that. It's mm -hmm. simple. We've talked about it in the show before. Mm -hmm. Okay. The money you're paying for a loan versus the money you're paying for a deposit. Yes. The difference between those two numbers, if I'm paying 5% for a deposit, and I'm making 7% on a loan, loaning that money out, right. the difference between that, that 2% is my profit margin. That's my net interest margin. Right. 
Now, the large money center banks, the Wells, the Chase, the B of A, the Cities, those banks, mm -hmm. they have other non-interest income yes. on fees, on investment banking, stuff like that, that they can actually drag in extra fees and income. Mm -hmm. But even them, the big players, are still getting crushed by that interest margin. And you want me to explain why? I'll explain why real easy, okay? 14 years. Let's say you're a big bank or a medium bank or a small bank. Yes. And you put out tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in loans every single year. Yeah. Times 14. Mm-hmm. And now every single one of those loans you've made in the last 14 years are underwater by several percentage points. Because if you went to the market to make the same loan today, it would be at 7%, not 3%. Yep. That's a problem, a fundamental problem for the banking system. And here's, here's a spoiler alert, okay? Yes, Silicon Valley Bank had an unrealized loss on securities they sold, and they had to recognize that. But every single bank in the country has loans on their balance sheet they made at 3.5% totally. or 2% or 4% that now today would be 6% or 7%. And those loans, mm -hmm. those loans are not valued at 100%. If they wanted to go to the market and sell them to create liquidity, if they needed to sell those loans and say, hey, I got a $5 million loan, it's got a 3% rate, mm -hmm. what would you pay me for it? They're not going to pay you $5 million for that because they're going to say, hey, this is an under market rate right. and it's going to give me an under market return. I can go to the, I can go disperse $5 million and make a 7% rate today. Your loan is less valuable. I'm going to give you 95% of the original unpaid principal balance. Mm -hmm. You're selling those at a loss. That is an unrealized loss. Right. Every bank, every single one across the country and frankly across the world is facing this problem. Yeah, I think we talked about on the last show that Charles Schwab and JP Morgan both have $10 billion in unrealized losses. But see, the, here's the problem though, mm -hmm. is they're basing that off securities losses. Yes. They're not basing that off their loan book because, right. and here's the difference, here's the key difference, right? They're holding those loans to maturity. Yes. Held to maturity is an accounting definition. If you plan on holding it to maturity and you move it into that bucket. What does that mean, holding it to maturity? Meaning you hold it until that loan comes due. Yeah. Right? All, all the way through for the whole term. So if it's a 30-year fixed loan yes. at 2.75%, or in my case, 2.71%, right? Flex. Flex so hard. That's what it is. Yeah. Right? If you have that, and Rune, fire again. What are held to maturity securities? A held to maturity security is a non-derivative financial asset that has either fixed or determinable payments and a fixed maturity, and for which an entity has both the ability and the intention to hold to maturity. Ability and intention is key there from an accounting perspective, but to make this real simple, if I have a 30-year loan at 2.71%, mm -hmm. okay, that bank made that loan intending to hold that loan through maturity right. or sell it on the secondary market shortly thereafter they originate it. Mm -hmm. The problem is when the market moves really quickly in between when they originate it, when they want to sell it, they become underwater, right. which is why a lot of non-bank lenders started getting crushed as the Fed increased interest rates. Right. Those loans they were making at 2.71% a week later were now 3.5%, and therefore your loan is now an undermarket rate. Oh, and something else that I feel like should be noted, I, t I told you about this before the show, I spoke to a few people. A lot of people don't really understand how the banking system works. Yeah, because we don't teach this to kids. I know. And this, this goes back to, I mean, the part of the purpose of the show, financial literacy, right? Um, now, it's not, uh, there's, there's not an umbrella that everyone falls under, but if we were to talk about real basic terms, if we talk about banks that need to hold 
10% of whatever cash deposits they have mm-hmm. in order to, in order to make loans. So meaning if I, I got an example here for you that I wrote yeah. out before the right. show. Okay. Because what a lot of people don't understand is that a majority of the money supply is actually created by co- the commercial banking system. A majority. Yeah, it, but it's it's created in a way they don't understand. They don't, exactly. So here's an example. Client A deposits $1,000, okay? This already sounds technical. <laughs> no. <laughs> Client A deposits $1,000. Okay. The bank keeps $100 and lends out 900 of that. To client B. Oh, and so in this example, they have a 10% capital requirement. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 10% capital requirement that they have to always keep. The Fed is going to enforce them to always have 10% on on, the, on hand. So the capital requirements for banks varies slightly depending on who their primary regulator is. Yes. And they can be regulated by the state, by the Federal Reserve, by the FDIC, right. any combination thereof. So there's, there's a lot of different things. But here. just to keep this very basic and simple, we'll do 10%. Yeah. Right? Okay. So client A deposits $1,000. The bank keeps 100 and then lends 900 to client B. Okay? Okay. Now, simple math, there's $1,900 in the financial system in play. <laughs> right? Yes. Client B uses that $900 to pay for laser hair removal. See, I knew you could. Why? Why? Well, well, it's, it's just the example, bro. Going just, back from my second session. <laughs> Hold on. I got to tell you, they upped the laser intensity. It was not fun. <laughs> it it really, really was not not fun. This is the show for it. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> sorry. It, it was a painful experience. Just, it was, was just in, it was in the example. It's not I'm my open, fault. I'm opening up. It's not my fault. Uh-huh. So client B uses that nine hundred dollars to pay for the laser hair removal from client C, who banks at another bank. The other bank keeps ten percent and lends out eight hundred and ten dollars. Mm-hmm. There's now two thousand seven hundred and ten dollars in the financial system off that original $1,000 deposit. Yeah, and I know that a lot of people who don't understand the banking system look at this as almost borderline criminal. They don't, because they're like, wait, that doesn't even make, when I explained this to a friend of mine, yeah. they were like, wait, they're printing money? Uh, like, And this is what people don't understand when we talk about the Fed borrowing rate. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, we, the banks borrow the money yes. to lend out. They're not using the actual cash, right? Which or is all why- of it. Because of the net interest margin, right? Yes. So when banks borrow money from the Fed, mm-hmm. and if the Fed increases interest rates, the, the Fed borrowing rate, right? that's why it turned around and subsequently costs you, the consumer, more because they need to make their spread right. on their cost of funds. Right. In this case, the Fed borrowing rate. Right. Which also now also requires the banks to give out higher interest rates for their deposits. Yep. And it, that's, that's how the cycle starts, right? That, yeah. That's where it's going. But the problem is, is typically speaking in an interest rate, Fed interest rate increasing cycle, right? Yeah. You would increase interest rates slowly and methodically over time. Right. I truly believe the Fed made two mistakes recently. Mistake number one was waiting a year too long, if not longer than that, to start increasing interest rates. When they when they called inflation transitory. Correct. <laughs> transitory, soft landing, yeah. all that other It's bullshit. just going past, bro. Yeah. What? It's in transit. Inflation. Come on, meow. Yeah. I mean, they were, they, they, I mean, at the beginning, it was nothing. Right. And then they moved too fast. And moving at the cadence that they moved at, yeah, they crushed the banking system. And so here, look, this is me being honest. I know they want unemployment to go up. I know they want wages to come down. Right. I know that they want inflation to go down, but they also means that these things have to happen. It's a natural byproduct. And as harsh as I've been on realtors who listen to the show on social media, and said, hey, look, you're not paying attention. I have to look at myself and say, in the banking sector, 
I think we're getting to the point that they want, they may want banks to fail. They may want some consolidation in this space. Yes. And if that happens, you know, maybe maybe that's why we haven't heard from the Fed secretary. And we'll get into the more but of the timeline. Is, Arun, just, you had a question. Arun, Arun had a question, but yeah. right before he gets to, just to finish off this thought, it doesn't matter how conservative a bank is or how prudent they are or how if if they're however they run their business if they're super conservative and they run their bank perfectly if there's a run on a bank it's going to fail no matter what it's not because, just yeah, because it's not just the banks like SVB it's any bank yeah and that, that's that's the problem with the hysteria in the market right now is that, that's why when you see a bank down as much as so the one thing that banks that are publicly traded don't have control over is their share price right right but to your point, they all have a de minimis level of capital on hand at all, all times. Right. And now, because of what the Fed has created, in an, in an interest rate decreasing environment or a flat environment, you could sell assets in, in at par value and, and in some cases at a premium, not lose money, even make money on them. Right. But in this economy, because all assets, loans, securities, all this shit is so far underwater. Right. They have to realize a huge loss, which eats into their capital even further. Because here's what happens. If I sell off $10 billion in assets because there's $10 billion of run on the bank that I, above and beyond my capital, right? Right. Whatever shortfall I take, whatever that economic loss is, that comes straight out of my capital, which was already limited because right. of what the situation was. Right. So you're really putting a strain on banks, a liquidity strain on banks. And there's two problems here. Number one, liquidity. If there's a run on the banks, liquidity is problem number one. The second problem created by the Fed is an interest rate risk problem. And I know the savvy people out there are going to point to saying, hey, you guys should have all hedged your interest rate risk. And I will tell you, they don't understand how this business works in no. the macro. Right. Arun, your question. Hit me, brother. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys keep talking about the Fed's want unemployment rate to go up, right? Mm-hmm. So, so why is there more jobs being implemented on a monthly basis yet all these cuts are happening all these layoffs continue to happen it, this is a bizarre that, phenomenon that, yeah that i mean that's a valid question i feel the like last the last jobs report i think you have an article on the current jobs report but the last jobs report was over half a million yeah they got revised and it only got revised down by like ten thousand. Mm -hmm. it was like something it's like nothing and, and then, the current jobs report, which you have, is, I think, an article on this, I think, right? No, you actually put it up. You got to it before I, I did. did it, it like, damn, I'm so good. Three, like 300,000. 311,000, I think is what it was. So if, if Sorry, you listen, Arun, I'm putting things out of If you of, listen to what Jerome Powell said on uh, Capitol Hill last week, um, he can't come out and say, I need you to lose your jobs. He came well, pretty damn close see, to it, He says, though. we need softening in the labor market. And when they grilled him on that, what he said is, well, I would like to see less job openings. Yeah. But we know that just lowering the job openings isn't going to reduce wage inflation. No. What needs to happen is for people to actually lose their jobs. Um, that's the only way that you could really, you know, reduce wage inflation. Mm -hmm. um, so but he's lot, saying it without saying was, it. A lot of that was so frustrating to watch because so much that the senators and, and then when they went to the, the, the House of Representatives, they... they they were asking questions to appeal to their constituents, not to address the real concerns. Not to address the real concerns, right. So back to our previous example, if banks are giving out, you know, higher interest rates on their deposits and with where interest rates are going, they're still rising, lending practices and guidelines are going to become much more strict. Mm -hmm. 
Businesses aren't going to be able to get the loans that they need in order to grow. If they can't grow and consumers need to pull back on spending, people will, businesses will be forced to lay off jobs and then we'll start to head in the right direction. But what we've seen up until now is this huge lag effect. And on top of that, what we were really seeing is a lot of companies were projecting second half of the year growth. Oh that, my God. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it, they were all drinking the Kool-Aid, man. They didn't believe everything everything the Fed was saying that, hey, you know, this is gonna, we're going to hold rates through the year. They're like, yeah, yeah, uh, go ahead, Jerome. So, so here's the thing. I, I saw so many unbelievably experienced bankers, talked about this in the last show, who were just in absolute denial that the Fed was going to increase rates at the pace they did. And, and at first I was like, what the fuck, man? Like I was upset. I was mad. Yeah. But then the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, you can't expect bankers who've been in this business for 30, 40 years, right. who've never seen anything like this in their lifetimes, right. to go, yeah, they're going to do the absolute unprecedented. Yeah. So I don't blame these seasoned like industry experts who are like, nah, man, the Fed's not going to do this. Yeah. It, it, it was so unfathomable. And here's the reason why, to them, it was unfathomable. So for you, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, hey, these bankers are arrogant. No, 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 it wasn't that. Right. They knew if the Fed did this, it was going to tank the banking system. Right. And they weren't wrong. Who's 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 the most ruthless venture capitalist like to date? Is oh, there is there somebody man. is there somebody with, like the biggest name out there? I mean, there's a ton that, that are out there. I mean, let's just use Peter Thiel. Okay, let's just say you're Peter Thiel, right? If I come in and I now start quoting Peter Thiel, mm -hmm. and I tell you I'm going to do business just like Peter Thiel does. And you don't believe me? That's on you. Right? Jerome Powell's citing Volcker. I'm going to I'm going to inflict pain like Volcker. Man, yeah, he did and again, maybe it's the bias in me, but yeah. I would say rates weren't that low then and the pace with which Jerome Powell's had to move has obviously been unprecedented for a reason because it's not what Volcker did. Yeah, but I don't think he he wasn't at least how I how I read it at the time, he wasn't citing Volcker for the pace of rates. He was citing him for, hey, I dipped recessions twice. Yeah. And that, that's, that's, that's what might happen. So one of the conversations we'll have later on is sub subsequent to all this that's happened on Friday, the world interest rate probability, according to Bloomberg, for a 50 basis point increase at the time, well, an increase was 170%, which if you recall, each 100% means 25 basis points. So leaning heavily towards 50 basis points. Leaning heavily towards 50 basis points, certainly 25 basis points was guaranteed. Right. As of today, mm. it's down to 60%. Meaning no longer 50%. No longer 50% for, for out, sure. Out the window. And it's still more probable than not that you get 25 basis points, but it's growing certainly a consensus and chorus of people who say there's a no interest rate increase at uh, all. I think you, you put in an article, or I put in an article that Goldman Sachs has come out and said that the Fed will not increase rates again. And look, I, I get that Goldman Sachs' concern is here. I mean, I don't know that that really stops this, quote, contagion situation, but let's get back into that weekend. Yes. Because I want to set the tone. So the Fed and the FDIC discussing a backstop to make SVP depositors whole and stem contagion fears. This is according to CNBC. Shortly thereafter, I'll read a couple quotes from that article. Financial regulators are discussing two different facilities to manage fallout from the closure of Silicon Valley Bank if no buyer materializes, and no buyer did materialize. There are rumors that PNC and some other big banks were looking at it, but obviously their portfolio is not something that people wanted to buy. Right. According to a source who was close to the situation. 
One way that the regulators would step in would be to create a backstop for uninsured deposits at Silicon Valley Bank using an authority from the Federal Deposit Insurance Act, according to the source. The move would also touch the systematic risk exception that allows the Fed to take extraordinary action to stem contagion fears. Right. So this is effectively what they did. But it wasn't until late in the day on Sunday that they announced that. And shortly before that happened, according to another CNBC article, and I actually watched this live, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, says the U.S. government won't bail out Silicon Valley Bank. And she she provided an interview. Right. So, so this is where they use bailout. This is, yeah. And, and look, Janet Yellen, I've never found her. I don't like her. I'm going to be honest. She's a Treasury Secretary. I respect her position, but I've never been a big fan of a lot of what she says and her mannerisms. But I will tell you, in this particular interview, I found it weird that she was doing an interview on a Sunday, and I think that she was just trying to get something out there. I mean, I, I, I feel like with her doing an interview on a Sunday and Joe Biden coming out at 9 a.m. this morning, when was the last time when was the last time you saw a president give you know a speech at 9 a.m. in the morning? He realized the markets are open. I need y'all to listen. Yeah, where's Jerome Powell? Yeah, yeah. Silence, not a word. Not a word. So and so and this is a frustration, and I'm just to get it off my chest, okay? Jerome Powell has prided himself in being the most communi- communicative Fed secretary ever. Yes. He is he's spoken more at press conferences, he's done more talking and let the minutes be kind of a secondary thing. He's certainly been over communicative. And in this instance, not a fucking word. Yep. Nothing. He could have easily, because keep in mind, the Fed is the one putting pressure on the markets with the interest rate increases. They are in complete control of this. And we've talked on the show how they're supposed to be politically neutral. Yes. Not a fucking word. The one man who could reassure the markets that their fears are unwarranted and could quell this systematic concern. Right. Has not said a single goddamn word to anybody. Instead, the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who I do not like, goes on television and says that they will not bail out banks, but they're looking at a way to possibly make depositors whole. But she was very ambiguous. Now, everything she said on this show to me was right, but she stopped short of committing to anything. I mean, how invoking the systemic risk exception, mm-hmm. which protects the deposits for all depositors, all yeah. their deposits. I mean, that in and of itself is what, what they're saying is we're going to protect the deposits. We're not protecting the shareholders. Right. You're not bailing the bank out. You're, You're not, not propping the bank up. Right. We're just we're just making sure that all the depositors get their money back. Right. Right. That's all that's all they're saying. Now, the message, the signal that I I mean, you want to still get into signature bank? Oh, I could I could get into a lot of things, but take your time. Oh, we got well, all night. The message the message that I got from, from this and then uh subse- subsequently from Biden to come out at 9 a.m. the next day, right? Um saying all depositors will have access to their money. You know, don't worry about it. The message that I got is, okay, SVB, big bank, signature bank. I don't know as far as percentage-wise relation to size, but significantly smaller. And they have a lot of exposure to crypto. So crypto, yeah. Right. So that mm-hmm. that in and of itself is a little sus as the kids like to call well, it. Well, especially in light of the fact that Silvergate Bank failed. Yes. And they were a crypto bank who had really gone cavalier on the regulation. They, just like, they were just like, fuck it, we're going to do what we want to do. Right. They so, failed. They failed. But for some reason... They want to prop up the deposits of Signature Bank. Yes. But not Silvergate Bank. Right. They want to prop up the deposits of Silicon Valley Bank. So it, it, it left people uneasy that it wasn't all failed banks. It was 
two of the well, three recent failed banks. Yeah, exactly. I feel like Silvergate probably had way more exposure to crypto than Signature. Still, nonetheless, the message that I got from it now is you you guys are propping up these depositors. You're going to prop up the next one, too. So there was an interagency statement that came out. and I So shortly after this Janet Yellen thing, my wife, bless her heart, decided to take our son to the in-law's house spending some time with her family and she wanted me to go to the gym. She's like, I can tell like this is weighing on you and you're stressed. She's like, go to the gym. You have a massage later today. Go get a massage. Do I, love, I love when my wife can read the situation and knows exactly what I need. Just Bro, go, my go wife has been phenomenal during yeah. it. I mean, I can't stress enough that my wife has been incredible. Her birthday's in two days. Yeah. She hasn't said a word about her birthday. She's been so hyper-focused on like, look, this is scary. Yeah. I can tell it's weighing on you and you get the world in your back right now. She's like, look, like you do what you need to do. She understands, yeah. It's incredible. And so shortly after this, I'm at the gym and I'm trying to work out and I'm just getting rapid fire messages. People are saying, hey, um, First Republic Bank might go down. Hey, PacWest Bank might go down. There's an article at Market Watch which mentions our bank, which was incredibly infuriating because the only basis for that is net interest margin compression. If you recall from the early parts of the show, every single bank in the country has net interest margin compression, and that is not right. what took down Silvergate. That is not what took down Signature, mm -hmm. and that is not what took down Silicon Valley. Yeah, bank. it's a little reckless because financial journalists know better to ever try and predict something like that on a bank because it very well could cause a run on the bank. But unlike any other time in history, yeah. You've got this really profound social media world where people are really rebroadcasting messages. So here's what immediately happened. And I've seen this as a guy who got into social media, I dipped my toe into this pond and I'm trying to figure it out still to this day. I know that when big things like this happen, every asshole influencer wants to be a subject matter expert and jump on the most sensational thing possible. Just to get I, those views. Just to get those views, those clicks. Yep. And this is where journalism goes south journalistic integrity has gone to shit. Yeah. And it's not the journalist's fault. So let me explain. If you're a journalist, part of it is self-promotion. You have to get views, clicks on yeah. Twitter. You got to get people who buy into your sensationalism. So you might go into a story with all the best intent in the world, but journalism to most consumers is free. Mm -hmm. They got to find a way to pay those bills and it's for advertising. You don't get advertising without eyes and clicks. Yep. So a lot of this stuff was sensationalized, was manufactured. An article like that goes out, and it could be catastrophic for the wrong person. No one contacted anybody. Right. It wasn't based off of anything besides one person's speculation. Right. And frankly, it had no relevance at all to why the other banks, the three banks, the only three banks that have failed so far have failed. Right. Yet, that has been the number one question that I've had to, to personally feel, which, again, I would have tried to cross over too much into the business world, but it's been absolutely infuriating that the journalistic integrity with something like this is mm -hmm. trash. And here's the problem. You, the consumer, you call me and you say, hey, Chris, is this true? I say no. No matter what I say to you, no matter how factual and detailed I am, it's self-serving of me to tell you to believe me. Right. It's true. That's a hard sell, man. Yeah. And it's difficult. So at the time, I'm at the gym and I'm feeling these questions. I'm getting all these things. And there's an interagency memo that comes out. And I believe it was the Fed, the FDIC. And I think maybe one other one. Room, maybe you can find the... Uh, the memo that came, that came out, it was an interagency memo that came out with a bunch of uh, of the regulators on Sunday. And it basically said that all depositors at Silicon Valley Bank were going to have access to their money on Monday morning. That they were going to prop up all the deposits at Signature Bank 
and at Silicon Valley Bank. Right. And to me, it was an amazing thing. It was the right thing. You didn't bail the banks out, mm-hmm. but you found a way to to prop up the depositors to give them confidence that they shouldn't feel the need to go to every single regional and community bank. But one of the things that was missing from this release was they didn't say they were going to do it for every single bank moving forward. Well, what do you, I mean. It was inferred, certainly. Right. The, I, the report that I read showed that uh, the FDIC only has $126 billion in an account to, you know, I'm not going to use the word bailout, but to make depositors whole. So they they can't. And there's approximately $9 trillion in all deposits a- across the country mm-hmm. that are over that threshold that make it uninsured. So, yeah, yeah you can't. So let me, let me be clear too. This is a bit, also a big misconception. So Silicon Valley Bank, we don't know the extent of their loan loss portfolio. And, and I don't, there'll be more that'll come out with time. Uh-huh. But right now we know they were what? A couple billion dollars down? That's what they do the capital raise? Yes. I mean, that's from what we know. But if the FDSC takes them over or and somebody doesn't buy them or whatever the case may be, they'll sell down their assets. It's only a $2 billion shortage, which I know sounds like a lot of money. Right. But relative to the forty billion dollar run on their money and the deposit they had, exactly, it, it's not like it, it's a, it's not like it's a two hundred billion dollar loss the size of right. the bank. But the time it would take to sell off those, a- yeah, assets. no, certainly it would take it would take some time. I, I get that. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, is like, look, like we've we have hypersensitized the world to the idea that they could be losing money. That isn't the way this works. But, but now, even more than most, the FDIC's come in and, and, and everybody else come in saying, "Hey, look, you're going to have access to all of your money." On Monday, what what this signaled to me more so than anything else was, maybe they thought Silicon Valley Bank was going to be this cycle's Lehman Brothers, and they were like, if this shit fails, it's about to go. Everyone's about to go ape shit. But it did fail, and then it, it didn't stop it from failing. Right. All they did is say, hey, you consumer, we're going to protect you. Right. Which again, this is the right move. They they did the right thing. Yeah. Except they stopped short of saying they're going to do this for other banks. So now here I am, post massage. Sunday night. Okay. I'm feeling relaxed. Okay. I stopped to get some Indian food on the way home. My wife's coming home with our son and I can't wait to get my little boy's bath. Deep tissue massage or soft like tissue? Yeah, Thai. So she stands on my back like she has those poles way above the top and she like stands on me. Uh-huh. But her feet are magical. I don't I don't really I don't know how to claim it. Like it's so, just... so you get a your massage at a place with there's like poles or the girl that has to stand on No, them. no, no, don't you don't, said don't, it. Don't, I didn't no. say I didn't there are say poles that. in the ceiling. I didn't say that. In the ceiling. Yeah, in the yeah, oh yeah, that's pull, where they start. Yeah, that's where they start, and they come all the way down, and then so her feet are. All, I'm, 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 a, I'm just I'm trying to understand. A, I'm, Arun, I'm just trying. Arun, to, when was the last time you got a massage? Don't ask. Okay. <laughs> wait, wait, oh, this guy gets massages like weekly. No, he doesn't. I used to. I used to. Not anymore. He's been. I haven't said. He hasn't said a word about a massage to me. I'm years. telling you, man. Yeah, this guy. No, I used to when I actually wasn't shape a little bit when I used to play basketball. That was the way I used to treat myself. I have no comment on this matter. <laughs> You, have you gone to the call, gym yet? You call, you call that playing basketball? Have you, have you gone to the gym yet? You joined the gym. Did you go? No, not yet. Why, man? I'm I'm making up a bunch of excuses. Why don't you just I'm come? Just why don't you just come with me next time? What time do you go? Uh, I usually go after work on the weekends if I can. After work on a weekend? After work or on the weekends? Oh, okay, got it, got it. Um, you don't see it, bro. I do bro. have enunciation problems. Yeah. All right, count me in. Wait, how much is your gym? <laughs> I've got passes. I'll get you in. You're good. Uh, your black card got me. Stop. Why uh, does it got to be that conversation? Okay, you okay, knew okay. I was going there. I did know you were going there. It's terrible. Okay. Also, do you pay cash for your massage? 
No, I pay with card. Why would I pay cash? What kind of irreparable places are you going to? I was just trying What's to What's the name out? of this establishment? Pole, <laughs> yeah. You got a pole. That's well, Chaba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds sensational. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you don't throw money at people to pay for it. Um, Come on, man. Keep it 80 20. Back on topic. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> foreshadowing, kids. Yeah. All right. So now, post massage, I'm looking at the futures markets and all banks are trading a little bit better, it looks like, at least the ones that I looked at anyway, our bank included. And I'm like, okay. You know what? It's all right. I think I think it's going to be okay. I think Monday's going to be okay. There might be a run, but all these things have happened. But then I know Jim Cramer fucked us all. Everybody. I, I know Jim Cramer and the Reverse Cramer Fund fucked us all. And and I can't get it out of my mind. I'm walking in to get Indian food and I'm like, "You know what? My mind's telling me no." But Jim Cramer's telling me yes. Yeah. <laughs> Man, how did he do it? I don't know how he did, Arun. You want to give him a little flavor of Jim Cramer? We're not justified. It's a very compelling situation. Hey, by the way, long-term private equity and venture capital, they're not going away. Being the banker to these immense pools of capital has always been a very good business. And that's your boy, Jim Cramer, talking about Silicon Valley Bank. As a matter of fact, he got eaten alive for telling people to buy stock in Silicon Valley Bank during a February 8th episode of msnbc's mad money a little over a month ago a month ago this complete (laughs) d-bag has literally been telling i am convinced it's not just the inverse kramer fund is gonna be it's it's almost like bill and ted's like wild stallion it's gonna bring the world together oh great reference it's gonna be peace on earth yeah because everyone will learn that jim kramer will fuck you as soon as he <laughs> says your name. Right. As a matter of fact, I can prove how goddamn accurate Jim Cramer is. We just need to have him say we're going to fail. Wait, he just this like the whole Drake thing? Whenever Drake makes a comment about who's going to win the Super Bowl? Uh, is that a I, thing? I don't know your hip-hop references here, sir. This is a financial literacy show. You know enough to know Drake is in hip-hop. Ah. Uh, is he in hippity-hoppity still? hippity <laughs> I mean, it's so popular now, it's got to be pop music. I feel like he's the older generation. Is he now an R&B singer? I mean, they, he's a vet. He's a veteran. The problem is, is he doesn't have Lil Drake in front of his name. Like, Lil, Lil's the, that's the, the, next, yeah, that's that's the indicative next of like, this generation. I can't wait for someone to come out yeah. as Lil Drake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's going to be one of those eventually. So. Lil Drake X? Yeah, Lil Drake X. Yeah, it makes yeah. total sense. Done. Like, that's the next it's generation. Not just, and that's, it's not just Kramer, though. On Monday last week, Silicon Valley Bank made the Forbes list. Of America's best banks for the fifth consecutive year. I am convinced that everybody who's on a Forbes cover is a piece of shit now. I mean, the, the For- Forbes uh, does more wrong than they do right on these covers. We gotta, we gotta boycott them. No more citing Forbes. This is crazy. I'm, a, I'm, a, hey, I'm gonna be honest with you. I was once a member of the quote Forbes councils, and so I realized they just charged you like an annual fee, yeah. and they didn't give you shit for it. Besides. What is, a, what, what is a Forbes? What they have like a councils where you have to be like a certain like professional like member. I got my money back. Uh-huh. I was so infuriated about what I was experiencing. I was like, give my money back. Really? But basically, you were supposed to be like a contributing member to Forbes if you meet certain criteria, but every asshole got in. Classic in-group, out-group. Oh, my God, in-group, out-group. They got my money. So I got my money back. I was like, yeah. nope, I want out. Dang, yeah, it was it was sus. They had like a press release that went out about it. It was terrible, terrible. I, I regret it immensely. But that being said, Forbes, yeah, Forbes said the number one bank in the country, Silicon Valley Bank. Man. They fucked that up. For the fifth consecutive year. Fifth consecutive year. There was some relationship there. But let's not get lost on, the, on romanticizing Forbes and Jim Cramer. Um, Jim Cramer also came out recently and said, hey, First Public Bank, they're a good bank. They're yeah. not going anywhere. 
So you know they're going to fail. Yeah. They were down 60% today. Want to know why? Not because they're a regional community bank. I know that might be an easy answer. Nope. It's because Jim Cramer fucked them. Yeah. 100%. He did it. 100%. It reverse Cramer fund. I mean, it's just, he's he's got it. I'm convinced the interview we saw with him and Jamie Dimon. Jamie Dimon knows what's up. Yeah, he knows. He's like, up. this man's trolling. Yeah, 100% he's trolling. I'm not yeah. going for I'm this I'm not shit. going for this. He yeah. took his tie off, yeah. opened an extra button, and said, yeah. now what, Jim? Yeah. Let's go. He's saying one-word sentences? Yeah. He's like- Cheese. He's like, Ukraine, man. Uh, Beef. Yeah, man. Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> like, just throwing out words. Just throwing out words. Yeah. I mean, and I, here's the real reason why Jerome Powell hasn't said anything yet. That jobs report that came out, he knew. He, what is this? <laughs> he knew that those 311,000 jobs that were added in February. So the reason why Saeed laughed right now is we are recording the show as we talked about in the top of the show. And uh, I kept grabbing my toes on camera and Ruben felt the need <laughs> to put on the show notes to stop grabbing my toes. This guy's wild. <laughs> <laughs> They're hairless now, so it's all good. Yeah, you're going to have to wear shoes from now Nah, on. man. There's people out there with foot fetishes. I'm trying to attract subtly to a different yeah, audience. I'm yeah, trying to yeah. appeal to everybody. We're doing everything we can. Yeah, I'm dressed like a total hobo, I'll but wear, it's all good. Thank God so no yeah, you'll have, you'll have that over there, and I'll wear Loka V-necks for people that want to see the oh, chest Oh, God. I used to love DVs. <laughs> DVs? Uh, deep Vs? Yeah, Deep V-necks? I used that, to love those. Deep Vs. That's it's a- so Airy, so airy. and light. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I get it. Like I'm, uh, I'm always all in, bro. Let's say yeah. less. Yeah. We, we used to have a friend that used to shave his chest, just the V part. Everything else would be hairy. Damn, that's weird. Yeah, yeah it is. Used that's to, weird. So he used to have a friend. Yeah, he doesn't have a friend anymore. <laughs> yeah. So these 311,000 jobs that were added in February, we signaled that on the last episode that aired last week. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Service inflation is still going to be running hot. Now. It's going to be interesting to see what comes out. I know estimate currently CPI is reflected at 6.4%. And tomorrow, esti- tomorrow's coming out. Estimates are yeah. 6%. I'm going to be honest, Chief. I don't necessarily see that happening. Can I be, can I be, can I be real with you for a second? Yeah. Can we do you and I just talk? Let's put the cameras away for a minute. Okay. Excuse me. Okay. Okay. Cameras are orbits right. of eyeballs to orbits of eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. I don't give a shit what the CPI is right now. I want Jerome Powell to come out and save a little bit of the consumer confidence because people are freaking out. Now, he I want knows- Jerome Powell to come out and be like, if you wait until the actual Fed meeting on the 21st, yeah, like, I'm, I'm going to go on the record. Yeah, That's a, that's a total D-bag move. <laughs> really? That's a t- you can't, look, man, you, you got to say something. I'm not saying save the banking system. Okay, well, let me ask you, let me ask you another question. So if SVB failed, right, and Signature Bank failed, and if he's privy to other banks to fail, what you expect him to come out and speak after every every single? I time? I know at least one or two more banks that are going to fail. Wow, I, I I know the regulators are in there. I know what's going on. Obviously, I speak to other people in the industry based on their balance sheets. Based on their balance sheets, sheets, sheets. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that it's, it's likely, and I know that it, it's. I will say this too. I think maybe, just maybe. The Silicon Valley Bank failure wasn't handled appropriately. Really? I don't know the regulators that were on that, and I don't know the context, so there's a lot of, of assumptions here on my part. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be on the record for that. I, I don't know 100%. Right. But to shut a bank down during business hours as quickly as they did, either there's some crazy shit going on we didn't fully understand. Right. Or they jumped the gun a little bit. Yeah. I would like to think that that regulators would be a little bit more thoughtful and pragmatic. But again, I don't know. 
it just seemed very unorthodox. Right. Odin very had, unorthodox. Odin had a question? Yeah. So, I don't know if you guys touched on this yet or not, but what effects does the SVP have on recession? Uh, SVB? Uh, yeah, what did I say? SVP? That's what happens when we're recording after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> what what effects does it have with the recession? Yeah. Um, I don't know, Chris. Does it they... affect it? Does it not affect it? I mean, I mean, yeah, it, I it think could, it does. It could, it could be it could be the thing to set everything off. So yeah, what what did Lehman Brothers have on on the recession? You know, they were they, they were these catalysts. What what did you know? So much of these things, these companies that fail, they have repercussions. Right. You have to understand. Let me give you a great example of why I think things like this are much more impactful than people realize. Even if you're in, not in the tech sector, and even if you think your bank is safe, the consumer is afraid now. Right. You had an entire weekend that went largely unaddressed by the federal regulators. You had a president that came out giving a, eh, a less than stellar presentation on Monday morning, and it was a partisan presentation, right? He's trying right. to save his party. The consumer is afraid now. They are very afraid. What's going on? Why are banks failing? Is my money safe? Right. And what happens to people worried about their money being safe? They stop spending as much. Yes. They stop, they start pulling back. When when things like this get sensationalized in the media, right. people freak the fuck out. And I know that all, all people really will do, and I'm, look, if I didn't know the system well enough myself, I, I too would do the same thing. I would freak out about all my money and I want to go put it in a big box, big box bank, but the ramifications of that are so, so large. Well, not, not only that, but here, here's the part that just is just absolutely fucking infuriating. Yeah. Okay. Wells, Chase, B of A, City. These people all have lobbying groups. Yes. They work with politicians. They they they're the ones who help formulate some of the rules and restrictions around what happens here because they lobby politically. Right. If they really wanted to to put pressure on the regulators to put a stop to these concerns about a systemic issue. Right. They would be out there in front of this in front of their congressmen, in front of the senators, and they would be trying to push hard to say, hey, we need some statement by the Fed on Monday. Right. But you know they benefit from this. Right. As the community banks and regional banks fail, they want to take the money out, they want to dump it into one of these large money center banks, and they're thinking to themselves, why would we use our political pull to stop this when it just gives us more deposits? Yep. So this is benefiting them and hurting up The Great Recession... What was happening was bad for everybody. Consumers got loans they shouldn't have had. Banks had loans to consumers they shouldn't have had. And it failed for the consumer. It failed for the bank. That's exactly everybody what, got hurt. It's exactly what I was going to get into. This We have to make it very clear that there's a distinction. This is not 2008. No. Okay, this is not. But back to then, me, it's scarier. I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah, because so much unknown. Because look, back then, you know, we had non-transparent, horribly regulated financial system. Okay, you couldn't tell who was sitting on what kind of loss. Mm -hmm. Now, it's 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 a little bit more transparent. It's a little bit more clear. But back then, because it wasn't, the government, the Fed, allowed a company like Lehman's to fail. Right, it, this was getting getting out of control. They they didn't bail them out. And then when they saw the ripple effects, they're like, oh my god, this whole thing could come crashing down. That's when the bailouts. There will happen. not be a bailout this time. No, there Let won't. me be clear. There will not be. There will not be a bailout right. this time. 
And that's okay. I'm not asking for one. I'm not saying right. the industry should get one. Right. But I'm saying the consumers should be given the confidence they need. Right. And they're not getting that. They're right. not. That You can't stop short of a statement which says we're going to backstop depositors. I don't care about people bailing out the banks. I yeah. really don't. And as a banker, that doesn't benefit me. Yeah. But I do care about you telling consumers we got your back and you're not going to pay for it. Right. Right now they said, oh, we got your back for these two banks. But everyone else is saying, well, like, what? Here's a, here's the mindset of the consumer. What if so many banks fail that the bank that I'm with doesn't get backstop because not any money left? Yeah, exactly. That's a reasonable expectation, and the I, Fed hasn't said anything. I know to make them especially, feel otherwise. Especially if you if you think about what I just said earlier with the Fed um, only having 126 billion to help bail out. Mm-hmm. Right, there isn't enough to go around when we say there's nine trillion in deposits that are uninsured. But uh, Odun, can you go up? Back up to that uh, Bloomberg chart that I had. This is something that this is something that I thought was really interesting. I haven't seen this chart. Um, that I thought show showcases how SVB is different than other banks. So this, from, oh, from, this is from Bloomberg. From, article? Yeah, from the article. A look at the share performance since the beginning of the pandemic makes it clear that it was generating classic speculative excitement, which is never a good sign in a bank. The fall in its stock price over the last year compared to the financial sector as a whole mm. shows that the market perceived the bank to be in some trouble. Like look at that. Yeah. Look so at look at the look at the entire sector is flatlining and, and it is doing relatively well, going, you know, peaks and valleys slow. So from January twenty twenty through January twenty twenty three. Yeah. They they rose above and then started to fall. So somewhere around kind of in the middle of that period, they peaked trying to outperforming the S&P 500 financials. Right. Okay. There was false speculative excitement over the, over the company. And it's, I mean, you could tell. I'm not going to lie, man. I bought into the hype. I thought they were a pretty prestigious bank. They, they grew to be $200 billion in size. Yeah. I mean, it was significant how fast they grew. Right. But growing in a time of unprecedented interest rate lows, followed by a time of unprecedented interest rate hikes in the Fed borrowing rate, that's a cocktail for disaster. Yeah. It's it's the only banks that are really getting getting rewarded during this period are the banks that didn't grow at all or barely at all in the last 14 years. Yeah. And that's a, that's a sad statement. You're encouraging the banks that did not perform relative to other banks. Right. That that's that's incredible to me. That's that's absolutely incredible. And the consumer here is you know, is my bank going to fail? Well, I should wire that money out the chase. Right. That's just do you really do you really see you know a world where and I'm not asking you but like as a consumer right as someone who has deposits in a bank do you really want a world with just four major banks well they don't even see that here here's what I'll tell you the consumer does see they're not thinking that far out here's what they see I want to go to this big box bank because my money's more secure there but here's what you get you get terrible customer service yep you get treated like a number right you don't get the same level of contact with a banker. Right. And at the end of the day, if you don't fit in their box, you had a problem with Chase Wells B of A. Yeah. I have, let me yeah. tell you, it's a fucking unpleasant experience. Right. And I'm, I, I still bank with Wells. I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't, but they, they've reported me on shit on my credit report. That wasn't accurate. They've, they've said no to me on loans that every other bank I've ever gone to has said yes. And I've banked with them for 20 plus years. Right. If you think you're getting a better, value proposition in the form of service right you're out of your fucking mind no i really just pulled up an interesting article number of banks uh by country 
Oh, geez. U.S. has way more, close to 5,000. Russia has around five, it looks like a little over five, no, under 500. UK, number three, has under 500. Basically, every other country on this list has under 500. Yeah, everybody else, yeah, okay, well, I mean, that was, way to cut it out, cut, pull the rug out from underneath me. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I was going to go I'm just saying, we're, we're, you're trying to make a statement. We have over 4,000. Every other country has under 500. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And I mean, it, and they have perfectly sustainable systems. But that doesn't mean that banks should fail. Right, like I don't know. Does it? If you're the Fed, maybe you're like, okay, we're we need we need some consolidation in this space. But here's here's where I go. That can't be true. Right. If you're the Fed, you've got employees. Right. Part of their jobs are regulating banks. Mm -hmm. So are you looking for your own employees to lose their jobs? Yeah, crazy. Because they they're impacted too. So I mean, okay, let's fast forward a year or two years from now. All this madness still continues, and whatever you predict to happen with this actually comes through. Okay, I have no idea. I, no I, idea. I can't make just, a prediction. Yeah. Okay, okay. Let's just say worst case scenario: the worst happens. Okay. Okay. Banks fail. Banks fail between the early '80s and, and, and the mid '80s to early '90s. 1600 right. banks failed. Right. So, what type of regulation could the government or the Fed put in place to ensure that this doesn't happen again? Right, so, so I, like, I what, think that it, people get this wrong. A lot of people get this wrong. Increase the interest reserve. Uh, no, I I think um, that's not enough. So there are different levels depending on how big your bank is of stress testing that are required. So once you get above ten billion, you've got more stress testing that's required. Once you get above, I think it was two hundred fifty billion, the more stress testing, stress, stress testing that's required. Silicon Valley Bank went out of their way to stay under two fifty, so they didn't have to go up to that next level up. Right, at least that's what the outward perception is at this point in time. Um, and the idea is you don't want to impose this significant burden on smaller banks that they can't really handle and manage because it's so complex, some of this reporting. And it is. It's complex. It's expensive. It takes time. It takes resources, employees. It's not easy. But looking at all this, I don't know that I have an answer yet. And I'm not sure that anybody who, who's looking at it right now would. Right. I, I think traditionally the rule has been that banks don't fail unless they make bad loans. They haven't been making bad loans this time around. Correct. But liquidity, liquidity. and interest rate risk right. can certainly take a bank down too. And that's obvious. Yeah. Because that's effectively at least what it looks the, like. But when there's, a run, when there's a run on the banks, when it's not the bank's fault. So all banks are required to have what's known as a contingency liquidity plan. Okay. Right? Contingency funding plan. Where are you going to get your money from in a worst case event scenario that you need to tap in? In case shit happens. So banks have lines of credit. They can pledge their loans to things like the Federal Home Loan Bank and get more. Ironically, your boy, the CEO of Sil um, Silicon Valley Bank, oh, yeah. was on the board of yeah, we didn't even touch the San Francisco that. Federal Home Greg, Loan Bank. Greg Becker? Greg Becker. Yeah, he, he the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank also served for the San Francisco Fed. Which, I, if, I, if I recall from memory... You can't be on the board of the San Francisco Fed if you're not a, uh, an executive at a bank. Right. So he immediately lost that the second the Fed stepped in. And I don't think you can be on if you've been the CEO or president of a failed bank. Right. I don't know what the, the rules are there, but I'm right. sure it's not good. Right. I can't remember. There was, somebody, there was somebody at either Signature Bank 
or uh, Silicon Valley Bank that also served as an executive on Lehman's Brothers. Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, <laughs> Silicon like, Valley Bank. This guy's resume is crazy. Yeah. I don't know who somebody posted it. Somebody posted it on the website. It was all over the internet. It yeah. was all over the internet. It was like wrist department. <laughs> it was just, it was, oh, yeah. Yeah, just trashing them. Shit. I mean, look, there was a lot of people back then in those in those spaces. But look, we wind up in a situation where Goldman Sachs no longer expects the Fed to hike rates in March. So, you know, citing stress in the banking system. I don't know, man. But I don't know either. I don't know. I mean, if that's the Fed C- has said fucking nothing. If this if that CPI number comes out tomorrow, and it's hot, can you imagine if it's six four again? Just not not even hotter than it was. Just six four. Yeah, it's just it is what it is. Yeah, stay the same. Yeah. Because we know, rocks. we know, the largest portion of the report, right, shelter, that takes a long time to come down, because mm-hmm. those numbers get reported every six months. Yep, and it's it's spread out across the country. So some, uh, some portions of the country reported in January, and then again late in July, and then other portions will do in February, and then again in August. So it gets spread out. So in order for the shelter component, which makes up over a third of the report for that portion of CPI to come down, it's going to take a long time. And the hottest portion of the report that uh, the chair Jerome Powell has been citing has been the services inflation. And that's directly connected to jobs. So we just got a hot jobs print. Yeah. So I expect a a not so favorable CPI print, which we knew was going to get stickier around the same place. Right. I expect at this point in time that, there will be more bank failures, and frankly, this week possibly. Um, it'd be lucky to get through this. I expect the the run on community banks and regional banks to lighten up a little bit. I hope so. Because over Friday, there's a lot of people who got their money out on, on Monday. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I think that there's some people who will start to hear more and more about it and feel pressure to pull their money out. Right. Both via wire and ACH. So what, do, what, what, what could regional banks and community banks do? Could they? Nothing. They can't offer any higher rates than they're already offering because they're already no. offering. The you max. can't eat more into your net interest margin. Yeah. Look, community banks and regional banks. If you did everything right up until now, right, you were still hostage to the perception, yes. instilled on people by the media. Right. You can do everything right. It's like cancel culture for banks. Exactly what it is, and there's nothing you can do. Yeah. There's That's exactly what it is. There's nothing you can do. You can't. You can. We, I'll use ourselves as an example. Again, I hate marrying the two. Internal statement to our employees. External statement via via press release. An email out to clients. Right. Reassuring them. But again, self-serving commentary. Right. You can only say so much about yourself. And I'll remind you, Silicon Valley Bank said, oh, we have an unrealized loss on our balance sheet. We're going to carry it till maturity. It's not a big deal. Then it was like, oh shit, we need to sell this unrealized, uh, in recognized unrealized loss. So I guess if a bank is- Don't worry, we're going to be fine. We're going to do a capital raise. Oh shit! Uh, we're getting taken over. So I guess if a bank is really concerned, and I, I know I get what you're saying about you know net interest margins, but if you raise rates enough to where you're no longer making much profit, just to hold steady for the time being. Well, no, no, no. Here's a problem though. You talk about your deposit rates. Yes. So okay, let's say you raise rates to five and a half percent. Yeah. Next week, the Fed increases rates twenty five basis points. All your depositors call you back and say, "I want extra twenty five basis points." Yeah. What are you going to say? No? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you, But you're already offering more so than anybody else, so maybe they just stay. Or maybe they say, mm, no, I want more. Yeah. I can go into treasuries right now and make more money, and yeah. they can. You can't have the, yeah. 
You can't. Where do you draw that line? Yeah, you got have to. Now, here's what here's what sucks about this whole thing for the large bank, the money center banks. They're saying, "Fuck you! I'm going to give you three and a half percent, but your money's a hundred percent secured. You know, I'm not going to fail." Right. So now they're not only getting more deposits, but they have to pay less for them. Right. It's like it's an unfair competitive advantage. It's a monopoly. Right. It's like like you're paying for the brand almost. Like you're going to buy a reliable a reliable Toyota. Hey. You, you and I both know this is reliable. You're gonna pay more for this. Yeah, it's called a, it's called a Lexus. Yeah, <laughs> that's, what, that's what it is. I gotta go it's, flashier. I want Toyota. You gotta go with Lexus. Toyota owns Lexus. It's yeah. their flashier brand, but it's yeah. the exact same damn car. Yeah, you just got leather panels instead of you know carpet panels. <laughs> like, I wouldn't know. It's been a while since I've seen a carpet. Come on, panel. man, Camry. Huh? What's wrong with the Camry? Nothing's wrong with the Camry. It feels I mean, like there's something wrong with the Camry. No, not at all. I was just give, come on, man. Don't make me that guy. Well, you said it. I didn't I say. I was anything. giving you an example, bro. Right. Just salty tonight. What's the first car you're going to buy, Carter? Uh, I'm 12 years BMW. away from that. What, oh, what was that? A white BMW. A white BMW. Wow, that's incredibly racist. Why? I don't understand why that would be racist. Why I would you say, it, why would you say that? Either. Chris had one at one point. I had a black one first, for no. the record, and yeah. then a white one after that. Actually, I had a red one first, then a white one, then a black one. No, red one, black one, white one. Wait, so your first car was a, a red BMW? No, my first car was a 1991 Honda Accord LX. It was a uh, really ugly, like, light Wait, Oh, dude, oh, my first car was a 1991 Honda Civic, but I'm much younger than you, so you can imagine how old my 91 Civic was. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that much younger than me, asshole. Come on, man. No, but my first Civic actually didn't even have power steering. Oh, wow, really? Explain it, that to the viewers or listeners. Oh, yeah. Power the, steering? The viewers, soon to be viewers. Sorry. Yeah, power steering. So, like, you know how you can, like, turn your wheel with, like... Are we this with, old that we have to explain power steering? I, yeah, I do. I think so. Uh, a lot of people don't know. My sister didn't know. When I tried to tell her, like, my car didn't have power steering. She's like, okay, she nodded oh. her head. And I had to say, you don't know what that means, do you? I had to call her out on it. I have a cl- I have a classic car. Trust me. I had to install a power steering. I had to yeah. install a rack opinion. Yeah. So power steering, for, for people that don't know, is the ability to uh, rotate the wheel with just a finger or two fingers in turn. It uses hydraulic pressure uh, vis-a-vis uh, essentially a piston above the cross member of the wheels yeah so when you turn your wheel it turns a gear which turns a hydraulic yeah. piece so it makes turning the wheels a whole hell of a lot easier a whole hell of a lot easier but my it car, was just straight tapped in but my it. car didn't have it so it was a forearm workout every time you wanted to make a right turn oh, or a left and turn. the car has to be moving yeah. Try turning that fucking wheel when it's not moving good yeah. luck bro yeah exactly so yeah. you know how many car accidents i almost got into because i hit that right turn on a this, green this too is why fast. i don't get in the car with you uh, oh i don't get in the car with this guy every time we drive over is here is a bad driver no he's not a bad driver he's just he has a lot of confidence in himself. Yeah, I also feel like he kind of dazes out. Like he just gets off lost in La La Land sometimes. <laughs> he's just he's, he's thinking about winning that lotto. Yeah. Dude, that guy who won that $2 billion lotto don't was do this again, 30 please. years old, dude. Yeah, please don't do this again. 30? I know. I don't want to go. I don't, I'm, I'm having a bad week as it is. 30. And you're going to piss me off Why don't more. you call him for some deposits? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. I saw the house you bought, man. Yeah. Come on, man. We're not FDIC insured, but you don't need it. <laughs> no, we are. Yeah. We are FDIC insured. Don't fuck around. It was a hypothetical. Stop. Yeah, don't fuck around. <laughs> All right. We beat up Silicon Valley Bank pretty badly tonight, but I did want to point out a lot of those things, and I know that we deviated a little bit. We didn't go topic by topic, but uh, it is what it is, and um, I am incredibly infuriated by all this. Right. Because I really do feel like Jerome Powell – should either come out and say, hey, this is part of the process, banks failing, or he should come out and say, hey, you know, we don't want this to happen. He should say something to defend the system. Right. So before we go, it's time to talk about some reviews. 
some reviews. We got two very sexy reviews this week. Very although, sexy. Although one of them is very honest. Really doesn't like you. That's me? Yeah, man. I mean, it's clearly I, you. I've been dead ass serious this entire episode. No, you've been you've been a lot of ass. You talk about a lot See, of ass. See, that's exactly why the eighty twenty rule doesn't apply to you. Eighty twenty. Should we You're get fifty fifty comedy? Should we get into eighty twenty first? Okay, let's get into eighty twenty. Eighty twenty first. You gonna read the reviews? Read the reviews. Uh, I read the reviews. This one from Bless Your Heart. Bless your heart. You bless your heart. Bless your heart. We love you. Bless love your that. heart. God bless your heart. All right. Uh, I don't even. Okay. So honest five-star review. I listen to individuals on podcasts with real experience to gauge current affairs because actual news outlets aren't a trustworthy source anymore. Yeah. Hence the word contagion. Yeah. yeah. You know all about just, that. Just bless to, your just, damn heart. Just trying to use that to scare you. Facts. Facts. I essentially bypass these outlets in favor of podcasts. If you were to inventory your content between jokes and banter and relevant information slash discussion, it'd be roughly a 50-50 ratio. See, I feel like that's a that's a courteous criticism. Although I would disagree. I yes. I think it I think 70 30 is probably a better ratio. I think 70-30, yeah. That's probably a little it's maybe, probably better. Maybe 65, 35, maybe. It depends on the day. I mean, some days we walk in the studio, we're like, look, it's early. Let's just land a can, let's light a can of whoop ass. Let's let's get it let's get it going. Right. In days like tonight, we're like, it's so damn late. Let's just be serious and move on. Exactly. Especially with the information that's coming out. Yeah. Your podcast would be more effective, and I'd listen more consistently if you leaned into the direction of the 80-20 rule. 80% info, 20% jokey banter. It'd also be shorter, and you could therefore record more frequently. So many wins. You both are charming and also not professional entertainers. So I didn't know how to take that last statement. <laughs> so like you're not we're, a, we're charming. Yeah, you're not an entertainer. Plus, so stop acting like you are. Is that what that was at the end? I couldn't. Uh, that's, I, that's I wasn't 100% sure. Yeah, I feel I feel bad. So uh, here's what I would say. Like, I'm not trying to act like I'm a professional entertainer. The asshole in me wants to say something like, <laughs> I'll, I'll listen to your podcast. And <laughs> but, look, it, it is hard doing a show like this. And and there are times where I admittedly want to joke around a little bit. I, I can completely recognize and appreciate that not all people who listen to the show will find some of the things that we tried to suggest as humorous, as humorous. Right. But what I will say is, this is absolutely a passion project for us in that we're in a studio, it's just after midnight. We didn't get here till nine, we set up cameras and- We and, all got wives and kids. And yeah, we got things to do. Mm -hmm. Arun's out there in a dark room by himself on a switchboard with audio. Yeah. And sometimes you got to just have a little bit of levity because there are times where I would choke the shit out of both you guys. I yeah, love you. Rightfully so, though. But there's times where I'm I like, you are not my wife. Why I, am I here? I throw you a lot of curveballs. Odun, yeah. Odun has a comment. Well, I don't know if a lot of the listeners also know this. We've known each other for almost 20 years now, right? Like, we have history. I think we, more. It feels like more, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, looking at your beard, it feels like more. Yeah, that's 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 true. <laughs> it's true. I, I, I wanted to shave the other day. But I'm afraid to see what my face looks like without it. <laughs> like I don't want to. I know I look terrible with a shaved beard. Yeah, you you should not shave. <laughs> wow. Yeah, bro, you need Lolo you at all times. You said that with a lot yeah. of confidence. Like last time you came here shaved, I was like, "Who are you? Why?" It was it was a super Lolo. It was a Lolo. Yeah. It, it was not. It was not. Uh, okay. Not ideal for your Bring face. Bring back the soul patch, seed. Bring back soul patch. Soul patch. Yeah. Bro, he had that for like six years. Yeah. Yeah. Soul patch, baby. Oh, All right. too much, too much. Let's go on to the Stop next it. review. Next, <laughs> next review. Uh, not just any five star review, but this from is it Bus a new dad or Bu's a new dad? What is that? The name. I'm letting you read. Okay. Uh, long time listener and first time reviewer, listener number eight. Wow, throwback. Eighteen. 
Eight or 18? Eight. Oh, okay. Throwback. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah. Somebody who's missing the show for long enough to know we originally had five before we got to this number eight. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're still yeah. at eight. Um, the Higher Standard Podcast has now firmly placed its into the weekly rotation of podcasts for me. If you're over being mad about money or just over dishonest, slanted content being rammed into your newsfeed, I saw what you did there. I see you, Ramsey. Yeah, yeah, I got that. I, I yeah, got that. I got that. I, I'm mad about you. I, I, well done, brother. Well done. Respect. Yeah. Salute to you. Then have no fear. Chris and Saeed are here to stay. The Higher Standard Podcast is your safe space for impartial, straight-to-the-point, deep dives on all things related to the economy, personal finances, and current events. We are. Yeah. yeah. A very astute observation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate you for noticing. Clearly, um, bust a new dad. Yeah. Be using a dad is an intelligent person. Very intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Very Clearly, observation. obviously listening to the show for a long time, listener number eight. Yeah. Got to know that. This next part, though, is a little sus. Okay. Let's go. Chris Saeed and the sometimes muted but always there senior VP intern strike a solid balance of simplifying complex issues within the financial world while keeping you and the whole family engaged and entertained. Oh, I got a question over the weekend uh, on social media saying they didn't know how to spell Arun's name. And I was like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i'll do what do you how, what's your go-to when people say how do you spell your name yeah. is there a certain thing you say yeah yeah it's actually uh baboon but with an h well, i'm not sure that i would do that so h a that's actually not right because <laughs> oh no it's maroon <laughs> wow what wow, so he, he forgot his he that's forgot. very confusing he, yeah. maroon maroon just spell it. your name dude stop yeah. yeah dude there's so many ways of doing it realistically maroon with an h or harpoon but take the p out just H A R O O N. How about that? Yeah, yeah. People exactly. can spell. There you go. So thank you for the <laughs> baboon with an H. Harpoon Jesus. without the P. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> Just be careful if you're like me and listening to this podcast while working out. Their well-timed pee-pee, poo-poo, hot takes, and friendly back-and-forth banter will cause sudden outbursts and audible laughter in public setting. And I'm glad we we finished this review because I got to tell you. Every time I go to the bathroom in a public bathroom, I think of you. Oh, every time. And I think to myself, there's no way you ever stand, you stood with your legs on that toilet seat. I've shown you. In military. I know you can do it. Yeah. I just don't believe you've done it. I, why? Every single time. It was, it was It was. literally maybe once or twice in the case of an emergency. I can hold it. In the case of an emergency. I, I never, can't hold it. You don't get booty sweat? No. You don't, if, you, if you hold it for like I'm too very, long, you don't get booty sweat? I'm very regular. What about like, you know, gastrointestinal inflation? You know, like you get gassy. No, no, no. Nothing. No. Never. Somebody somebody said like they actually compared my digestive system to like Sal's. It was crazy. I was like, really? Sal so, from Mind Pump Sal? Oh yeah. Like we're like we're like Okay, we're gonna stop here. Yeah. This is where the lying starts. All right. <laughs> end, the, end the show. Cut it call it a wrap. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs>